Father in heaven, we're very grateful for the privilege to come together as a family to study your word. We thank you so much for the opportunity to meditate upon scripture and to truly allow heaven to speak to our heart. Lord, we thank you so much for these privileges. We have the freedom here in the country and just being able to embrace your words. I pray that we will soak in everything that you are pouring upon us. Grant us your Holy Spirit, for he's the only effectual teacher of truth. And may he truly ignite our minds and help us to be able to understand the things that we will read and study, but more importantly, to apply it in our lives. So this is our prayer that we all ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, let's turn our Bibles to the book of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. You know, we're told in inspiration that the preaching from the desk is the easier part of ministry. And sometimes we misquote the prophet. She never said it was easy. She said it is comparatively easier than other types of work. In other words, to go into a home and to sit down with souls and to wrestle and go through the truths of God's word with them and see them go from a no to a yes for Jesus, that's, that's deep, real gospel work, okay? Uh, but preaching from the desk is easier than doing that in the home. But she never said it was easy. <laughs> and I don't want people to get that twisted and, and start thinking that preaching the word of God from the desk is easy. It is a very serious and solemn work when we stand before the people of God and present his wonderful words of life. And so it is something to be taken very seriously as we go through our study. You're in 1 John chapter 2. And the Bible says in the book of 1 John chapter 2, right there in verse 6, it gives a very testing statement to many. It says, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. This is talking about Jesus. If we abide in Christ, then we are to walk as he walked. I wish that this text could just be accepted in its super simplicity. But it seems like we have to go through so much effort to help Christians understand. If we abide in Christ, we are to live how he lived. That should get every Sunday keeper to be a Sabbath keeper. You find nowhere in the Bible where he kept the first day of the week, but the Bible makes it clear that it was his custom to keep the seventh day Sabbath. You know, you would think that, wow, wouldn't it be nice if we could just make it that simple? But we know the devil has done a tremendous work in confusing minds all over the world. And as a result of that, sometimes we have to go beyond even the super simplicity and dig a little deeper. My point is very simple. Jesus is our excellent example. My brothers and sisters, I don't know about you. I love studying the character of Jesus. Because when I look at characters to my right and to my left, I constantly see disappointment. Sooner or later, we're going to look at the arms of flesh and realize that they will fail us. God wanted that. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where Jesus tells us to put our trust in men. I read in the Bible we are to respect men. 
I read in the Bible that we are to be kind to men. I read in the Bible we should be gentle toward men. I read a lot of those type of things, but I read nowhere in the Bible where Jesus tells us put our trust in men. In fact, I read the opposite. In Jeremiah 17, in verse 5, the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that puts his trust in man and makes flesh his arm. But two verses down it says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And so we are to let Jesus be our example. Did you know that even Moses is not your example? Did you know that Daniel is not your example? Did you know that Joseph, Peter, James, and Paul, none of them are our example except this. What I've learned about Peter, James, and John, what I've learned about Moses and Elijah and John the Baptist and the rest, is I have learned that they are all lesser lights that reflect the greater light. And the only thing worthy to follow of what Elijah did is that which Jesus himself would have done. Did you understand that? You see, if somebody says, Dwayne, you need to be like Elijah, that means one day I might stand for God and in the same day become a coward. Because that happened with Elijah. If somebody says, Dwayne, we got to be like John the Baptist, I could say, yes, one day I can go before Herod and tell him that you are in sin because you took your brother's wife, etc., and call him to repentance. But that same John one day was scratching his head and said, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? Do you, does God want us to reflect that side of John the Baptist? Does he want us to reflect that side of Elijah? No, my brothers and sisters, the only area of any patriarch, prophet, or apostle that we are to reflect is that which they reflected, that great light, which is none other than Jesus. Jesus is our excellent example. And my brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, I am very much a man. You understand that? I'm a man. I am 100% masculine. But I find Jesus to be very attractive. You understand that? I, am, I find Jesus to be so incredibly attractive that I, well, every time I behold him, I'm like, Lord, help me to be like you. You understand that? I mean, it's like you start comparing yourself and everything. Lord, help me to be like you. In my home, towards my bride, towards my children, towards my fellow man, that I might be like him. He is our excellent example. When Jesus walked this earth, he demonstrated so much for us. We talked about some of those things this week. And one of the things I thought was very interesting is that uh, when Jesus gave his examples, he, he, he left something for us. Bear with me one second. I'm going to do this super, super, super quick. Very, very quick. You won't even notice all the time that I took to do it because before you know it, boom, it's right back on the screen. All right. Now, when Jesus left this example for us, this excellent example, I began studying the Bible. And there was something very attractive about the way Jesus even talked to people. I realized that he didn't even speak like regular men speak. The reason I discovered this to be so is because if he spoke like regular men spoke, then how in the world could the Bible say this? It says in Luke 4 and verse 32, and they were astonished at his doctrine, his teachings. Why? It says, for his word was with power. His words. When Jesus talked, he arrested the people's attention. His words had power. To the point 
that one day they did a comparative and they said, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. When Jesus taught, people knew there's something different about him than when I hear other preachers preach. There's something different about him. And they said that when he talks, he has authority. And, you know, we're told that we should meditate on the life of Christ, especially the closing scenes, and that we are to let the imagination go scene by scene, you know, step by step as we consider the life of Jesus. And when I was thinking about this, I, I thought to, I, I, I like to think in pictures. I think in pictures when I read, okay? If I'm reading a story in the Bible, I start imagining what that was like, okay? So here it is one day, these brothers, you know, Pharisees, they're very, very angry at Jesus. They decide to call soldiers and tell the soldiers, go find Jesus and go arrest him. Now, in my mind, my, my imagination kicks in. If I'm thinking of a soldier, I'm not thinking about somebody my size, okay? I am, I am slim, all right? When I think about a soldier, part of their job, an officer, part of their job is to arrest people. And when you got to arrest folks, you know, you got to have a little bit more muscle. You understand that? So I'm thinking that these are not some skinny, scrawny guys. These, these are, you know, these are buffed up guys, more than likely, that they're saying, go find Jesus and go arrest him. And on top of that, they more than likely have a weapon. You know, they didn't have guns in those days, but I'm sure they had themselves some big old sword or something like that. So I'm imagining these guys. They're, they're told what to do, and they're like, you know what, we're going to do it. And they're going, they're looking for Jesus. Eventually, they find him. When they find Jesus... They're supposed to go and grab him and arrest him. But here it is. They go to Jesus. And when they go to him, Jesus says, you will look for me, but you will not be able to find me. Because where I'm going, you cannot go. And then here it is that these brothers are like stopping their tracks. And then they just kind of look at each other and, all right, and then they just leave. And when they leave and go back to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees see them empty-handed without Jesus. They go to them, and the Pharisees are asking them, why is it that you didn't arrest Jesus? And these guys said to themselves, never a man spake like this man. Can you imagine that we could have so much of the anointing of God's spirit that even when people want to act in aggression towards us, that because of the presence of God within our hearts, that we can actually say, hold your peace. You need to leave. And they turn around. I, man, when I first read that, I would pray. I said, Lord, I pray that one day I could be so endowed with your spirit that when men want to even come to me with aggression, that just through calm words and the anointing of your spirit, people will turn away. Now, I prayed and asked God for that blessing. And I've been in many situations. Uh, I remember when I was in Australia, and I was dealing with some anti-Trinitarian folks. And I was standing, uh, you know, the sermon was over, and I, I was standing there and entertaining questions. And this man came up to me, and he was like, you know, hey, Brother Lemon, uh, I got a question for you. And I was like, okay, go ahead, ask a question. And he went to ask his question. And uh, it was all about the Trinity and these type of things. And I said, well, I prefer to use the term the Godhead, but nevertheless, let's talk about it. So we started to answer questions. And I remember that every time I tried to answer, he would talk over me. So I was like, man, I thought this was a dialogue, but this is turning into a monologue. So, you know, I got to a point, I said, my brother, I need you to let me speak. 
so that we can have an intelligent conversation. And he was like, no, no, you don't understand. And he's just kind of going at me and everything. So I said, okay. I said, well, if that's the case, this discussion is over. And I put my Bible in my bag. When I put my Bible in my bag, he walked over to me and said, you will listen to me. And he stuck his hand in my bag. Now, I've been trained in my past in three different disciplines of martial arts. And naturally, the flesh at least wants to rise up and to say, do you know what you're doing right now? Are you prepared for this? You know, and to, to kind of go into an interaction. But of course, the spirit of God, thank the Lord. God says, son, hold your peace. Now, there happen to be a wonderful, lovely group of people called Tongans. Groups from Tonga, the island of Tonga. And uh, when I was preaching there, there was some of those folks there. And, and one of them was this really big guy. And he was sitting watching the dialogue with me and this man. And when that man stuck his hand in my bag, I'm like, Lord, what do I do now? But God sent an angel in the form of a Tongan. That brother saw that man put his hand in my bag, and he, his face turned into righteous indignation. And he looked at him, going after the evangelist Bible like that, and he got up, walked to that man, and gave him a bear hug. Picked him up, and walked him out of the church, and said, get out of here, don't come back near that man. From that day forward, I said, if I never loved Tongans, I love them today. This is the closest I've ever had to any of this type of experience. But my brothers and sisters, God wants to get us to a place that we need no one from no specific island or anything. God wants us to be so endowed with his spirit that even when people come to us in aggression, we can say, hold your peace. And they can cease their aggressive behavior. And so obviously the student of the Bible says, Lord, how can I have that kind of gospel power in doing your work? And so it is that we are told very clearly how to get it. The officers who were sent to Jesus came back with the report that never a man spoke as he spoke. Why? It says, but the reason for this was that never a man lived as he lived. It said, had his life, listen to this statement very carefully. It says, had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. He couldn't have done it if he was living a double life. I think some of us might know why we lack so much power. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. It says his words bore with them a convincing power. Isn't that what you want? When you do a Bible study, you want to have convincing power. When you go ahead and help those who are ailing with sickness and disease, you want to have convincing power that God is able to take charge of their lives. It says his words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. Amazing Grace, 276, paragraph 5. My brothers and sisters, Jesus is our excellent example. Jesus wants us to understand that he was able to speak and to work with so much power. You notice that's been my focus all this week thus far. Lord, how do we get this power that we can be the type of gospel medical missionary evangelist? 
that you were when you walked on this earth. And he's showing us gems here and there throughout scripture. And here's another one. His life was consistent with his message. Listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. His life was consistent with his message. Jesus lived his message. And that's why he could talk about it without a problem. I often wondered, Jesus, your life was consistent with your message. You are the originator of health. God has given to us laws of health. And so I began to wonder, was Jesus's life consistent with the very laws of health that he gave to everybody else? Started wondering about that. Because I, I get, to, listen, I got a friend, of, I was at a church in Tennessee. And when I was in a church in Tennessee and I was preaching there, no, as a matter of fact, I wasn't preaching there. I was going to see a dear brother, uh, Dennis uh, Preby. And when I was there, you know, people knew who I was, oh, Brother Lemon, et cetera, and they started to talk to me. And I remember one of them said, Brother Lemon, there's some people from the Church of Christ that are friends of ours. They listen to your messages every single day. I said, is that right? They said, yes. And they said, and they cut and paste the web, web address and they send it to their other friends in the Church of Christ. I said, really? They said, yep. They said, please keep doing what you're doing, et cetera, and gave some words of admonishment. Then one day, my wife and I, we were in the middle of doing a mission in California. My phone rang. My phone rang, and it was a gentleman. Oh, praise the Lord, Dwayne Lemon. Yes, this is Dwayne Lemon. Praise the Lord. I thank God. And he starts thanking the Lord for different things that he heard. He was a former Major League Baseball player who was part of a non-denominational church. He says, I've been watching you. And I've been listening to what you're saying, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he starts going in. He says, I've been sharing your messages. And so I started to realize that God has allowed my influence to go beyond seven-day Adventist walls. And I'm thankful for that because that's what I asked for. Now, knowing that, I understood from years ago I have a weightier responsibility. I can't be vomiting spirit of prophecy quotes over everybody and not have Bible. It's like, I have to have Bible. And what I have found is that the, if we can learn to make the points from inspiration from the Bible first, and then show them how Ellen White says the same thing we just read in the Bible, a lot of times that makes non-Adventists more open to even Ellen White. Did an evangelistic meeting in Maryland, and we would do it there, and we was going in every time. Made a point, showed it from great controversy. Point from the Bible, great controversy. This Baptist woman came up to me. She said, look, how do I get that book, Great Controversy? I got to get it. She said, I, I'm, I've never heard this stuff before. I mean, this is, and I said, sis, right here. And she went there. Came to a Seventh-day Adventist church. We were new there. We came there and started to teach the word of God. Talked with a sister who was newly baptized. And I said to her, yes, yeah, Sister Karen, um, you know, the pen of inspiration says, Ellen White says. And she said, oh, oh. She went like that. She said, I don't want to hear anything Ellen White has to say. I did not join this church to hear what Ellen White has to say. I joined this church to hear what the Bible says. Now, I could have said, why you apostate? How could you? You know, I could have gone that route. But thank God for wisdom. I did not go that route with her. I said, okay. I said, all right. Went to the pastor. Pastor, you got, a, you got a Bible class here? Nope. That's always the first question I ask every time I join a new church. 
You got a Bible class going on? Nope. Can I start one? Sure. Started doing how to study the Bible. Started doing how to study the Bible. Total Bible. Did the class for about eight weeks. Sister Karen, front row. When we finished doing it, we gave everybody certificates of completion. And all of the church members who came were now going to be engrafted into Bible work. So Sister Karen comes up at the end of the, the class. She has a certification. Oh, Brother Lemon, this was such a blessing. Oh, praise the Lord. Oh, I just enjoyed this so much. I said, Sister Karen, I'm glad you enjoyed it. She said, Brother Lemon, I just got to ask you one question. Sure. She said, where did you learn all these things? I said, wait right there. Ran to my bag. And well, I tell you, God does nothing by accident. God is so not prodigal. God is not wasteful. God does everything with methodology. So here it is. That morning, he had me put a certain book in my bag to bring to church so I could just do some reading in my spare time. That book was called Testimonies to Ministers and Gospel Workers. So when she said, where'd you learn all these things? Ran to my bag, grabbed it, pulled it out, and I said, look at this chapter right here. It's called How to Study the Bible. How shall we search the scriptures? I said, it was these principles in this book that enabled me to give the Bible study classes that we were given. She said, wait a minute, Ellen White helped you understand how to study the Bible? I said, oh, yeah. She said, well, that's very interesting. And she walked away. Following Sabbath, see Sister Karen. Hey, Brother Lemon, what's going on, Sister Karen? She said, guess what? I said, what's that? She says, I surround my bed with the writings of Ellen White. I said, is that right? She said, oh, yes. She says, I got Adventist home right here. I got child guidance right here. And I got messages to young people at the foot of my bed. And every chance I get, I'm reading these things. They're so beautiful. We learn so much. I said, amen, Sister Karen. He who wins souls is wise. Did Jesus keep the laws of hell? Does the Bible give any reference to such things? I wonder. So here it is that, you know, started looking at the Bible. When I started looking at the Bible carefully, I discovered one principle right here. This principle, again, I like simplicity. This principle should be enough. Notice, the Bible clearly says or shows Jesus was 100% man. How do we know that? Well, first and foremost, the Bible says in Hebrews 10 and verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world... He saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. The Jesus, when he came to this earth, he did not come a spiritual being. He came a human being. He had a body that was prepared for him. So when Jesus lived on this earth, he lived with a human body and needed what the human body needs. That should be simple enough. Of course he had to get open air. Of course he had to drink water. Of course he had to exercise, etc., because he was a human. But you know how this world is. People are always like, that's not enough. So, of course, they got to hear more and see more, my brother. So I started looking. Father, is there anything in the Bible that, that even infers that Jesus followed the laws, and health, laws of health himself? And God was like, oh, yeah. You see, Jesus had godly trust. He had it. John 8 and verse 29. Now, for this one, I'm not going to go through all these verses. It's on the screen. You can write them down, you know, or take a picture and stuff like that. But I cannot go through all of it because it's going to absorb too much time. 
So in John 8 and verse 29, Jesus makes it very clear. He says, I always do those things that please my father. I always do those things that please my father. When you look at Matthew 26 and verse 42, that is when Christ says, not my will, but your will be done. His life was completely subservient to the father. He trusted the father. He put his full, complete trust in his father. So Jesus had godly trust. Oh, by the way, I said godly trust. Now, let me, let me say this real quick. I'm going right now by the acronym of God's plan. There is no sin in New Start. I just like God's plan because of the adjectives. So I like the godly trust, the open air, the daily exercise, and the proper rest. You know, I like those principles. So I'm just using God's plan, but you can apply these things to New Start as well. All right, let's get back to it. So again, Jesus had godly trust. Jesus breathed in the open air. In Matthew 5 and verse 1 and Matthew 8 and verse 1, Jesus was constantly out in nature, surrounded by the trees and in the mountains. There's definitely not polluted air in those environments. Jesus was breathing in open air on a regular basis, okay? In addition to that, Jesus got daily exercise. When you read Matthew 4 and verse 18, the Bible makes it very clear. Number one, Jesus walked everywhere he went. Jesus walked everywhere he went. That's exercise. We, we get happy when we do 10,000 steps on our little activity trackers. Jesus would embarrass us. Jesus would say, 10,000 steps, that's all you got in a day? And some of us don't even get that. Christ was a walker. He moved his body around all the time. What's, all, what's late science finding out? I always say that science is so late. Say again, sister. That's right. Sit, that's right. Sitting is the new smoking. There are articles that show that. My sister's 100% correct. Jesus moved around family. He walked all the time. He went way beyond 10,000 steps, and his body was rewarded for it. Also, you have to remember, Jesus was a carpenter's son. Jesus understood manual labor. He understood working with his hands, working with his legs, working with his body. Jesus practiced true exercise. In addition to that, Jesus received plenty of sunshine. Why? Same principle. The same way he got his open air was the same way he got his sunshine. By the way, every time Jesus went up a mountain, he had to walk. There was no cabs. There weren't even any bicycles. You understand that? You know, our little convenience, it's amazing. You know, sometimes we can live on a property, of country property, and it's when it's time to go ahead and go to the chapel, some of us will get in our cars and drive rather than walk. We could do well to learn from the master, amen? Go ahead and take a walk. Let's not get lazy. Jesus received plenty of sunshine because his life was outdoors, in the open sun. Also, Jesus got proper rest. Mark 4 and verse 38 makes it very clear that Jesus himself would sleep. Jesus himself got rest. Then on top of that, Mark 1 and verse 35, we read that yesterday when we were talking about devotion. devotion. You remember where it says, rising up a great while before day. What was he rising up from? Sleep. Jesus was one who prioritized his rest. Did he have nights that he stayed up all night praying? Yes. And God made up the difference. But Jesus lived the habit of getting proper rest on a regular basis. Then Jesus drank water. 
He's not only the creator of water, but Jesus himself was one who drank water himself. He knew the body needs to stay hydrated, and he kept his body hydrated. Jesus was always temperate. How many of you know how to deny food for 40 days and 40 nights? Some of us struggle fasting one day a week, one day a month. Christ was the master of temperance. You know, I always thought about it. How can a man who is God walk on this earth and have one of his creation go in his face and say, you have a devil? Do you know how much self-control it takes to say, you know, I can blink my eye and turn you into dust? It's kind of like a worker going to a supervisor and telling the supervisor you're not doing your job right. That supervisor gets a temptation sometimes to say, excuse me, do you know I could fire you right now? It's very easy for us to exalt ourselves. Jesus allowed his creation to grab his beard and rip the hair off his face, and he could still say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're talking about a man who really understood self-control. Jesus was on the cross in agonizing pain. And it's interesting. In the beginning of his ministry, he's tempted on appetite. At the close of his ministry, he's tempted on the same point. In the beginning of ministry, the devil's trying to get him to break his focus with God to go ahead and indulge appetite. At the close of his ministry, do you know how many people would love to have taken that vinegar with gall? My brother and sister, if you, if you hang on a cross, just to keep your body up was hard. Because naturally, gravity goes where? Down. So if you're here and here, and then you got it here, your body is nailed in. But naturally, you want to do this. That's naturally what's going to happen. So every time Jesus would have to take a breath, he had that lacerated back already. And here it is that with that lacerated back, just to take a breath, because you can't get a deep breath like this, he would have to rip his back against that rugged cross. Go through the agonizing pain. And when he would go up there, he would just, and then he would go back down again. Suffering. And here it is that in all of that pain and agonizing, here it is they come and they dip the vinegar with gall and they say, drink it. Take it. This will numb you up. Jesus, he smells it. He realizes this is vinegar. And he knew this will numb my mind. And I'm at the closing scene of my fight with Satan over the salvation of humanity. Jesus preferred to suffer agonizing pain physically as well as spiritually feeling the tear between him and his father rather than to benumb his mind even for a moment of physical pleasure. Don't tell me Jesus is not temperate. Jesus was the master of temperance. And so it is that Christ was tempted in every area, and that's why the Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, he was tempted in all points, yet he did not sin. Tempted in every point, tempted on appetite, tempted on attitude, tempted on every area, yet he would not sin against his father, the master of temperance. Then Jesus ate food that was nutritious. One of the key foods that you see Jesus eat in the Bible is bread. There's a whole lot of religion in the loaf of bread. And I'm not talking about these strict grain breads. I'm not even talking about these manipulated grain breads. Jesus was eating what we call today ancient grain bread. He had the good stuff. He didn't need to go gluten-free because the gluten wasn't messed up back in those days. Jesus ate a nutritious diet. 
And the Bible makes it clear. Luke 7 and verse 36. Luke 14, 1 and 2. And again, John 8 and verse 29. Jesus wouldn't put anything in his body that would defile him. He wouldn't do it. He knew my body doesn't belong to me. It belongs to my father. John 5 and verse 30, he said, whatsoever my father tells me, that's what I do. My brothers and sisters, Jesus lived the very laws of health that we teach to others. He is our excellent example. To the point, inspiration spells it out. The offerings presented to the Lord. Desire of Ages, page 50, paragraph 3. The offerings presented to the Lord were to be without blemish. These offerings represented Christ. And from this, it is evident that Jesus himself was free from physical deformity. Remember, you could not bring a lamb that had a bruise or a blemish into the courtyard. It's the same principle. The earth represents the courtyard. Is that right? And so it is that in that courtyard, he had to make sure that his life was completely without blemish. And so it says he was free from physical deformity. He was the lamb without blemish and without spot. His physical structure, listen to this, his physical structure was not marred by any defect. His body was strong and healthy. Now watch this. And throughout his lifetime, he lived in conformity to nature's law. Physically as well as spiritually, he was an what? Example of what God designed all humanity to be through obedience to his laws. Christ will not tell you to be something that he did not pave the way and be it first. That's why the same way we make excuses for sin, so it is many a times we make excuses for our sickness. And we don't understand that Christ lived a life that shows that we can not only be victorious over sin, but we can also be victorious over sickness. Christ left this example for us. We can have true health. I thought about it one day. Third John verse 2, popular text. Beloved, I wish above all things. This is God's great desire when he says above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in what? Health. Then watch those next two words. Those next two words are very important. It says, even as thy soul prospereth. The words even as are like just as. So in other words, if I were to say to you, do me a favor, set the pews up in this room. Let's say there's no pews in this room. And I say, set the pews up in this room. Can you set it up any way you want? Sure you can. All I said was set the pews up in the room. So you could set some facing forward, some facing back, and some facing left, and some facing right, and I couldn't hold you accountable to anything. Because all I told you to do was set up the pews. But watch. If I say, do me a favor, set up the pews in this room just as the pews are set up in the back room over there. Can you now set it up any way you want? No, because I gave you a model. You understand that? So now you got to follow the model. That's the way God was presenting health to us in 3 John 2. He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as, just as, thy soul prospers. So whatever God wants for me spiritually, that's the same thing he wants for me physically. You understand that? Matthew 5, 48, God says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. So what kind of health does he want us to have? Perfect health. Jude verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. What kind of health does he want us to have? Faultless health. 
Revelation 3 and verse 5. To him that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What kind of health does he want us to have? He wants us to have overcoming health, which means if I have a disease, don't live with it. Go to God and learn by his grace how to overcome it. My brothers and sisters, God wants to do more on behalf of his people than we think. But there's something Jesus said that is very true. According to your faith, be it unto you. There are cases where God in his wisdom may not restore one to health. There's only two reasons why God will not restore somebody to health. Did you know that? Only two reasons. If it is not for his glory or for their best, he will not raise them up. And we have practical examples of that. If God knows, if I raise you up just so you're going to go back into a life of indulgence and sin, God would prefer to let you stay in a sick condition and even die as a result of that sickness, saved, rather than to be restored back to health and then go on and living a rambunctious wild lifestyle. God is a healing balm to us. And there's more he wants to do on behalf of his people. But many a times, it's because of our limitation. You see, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he came to give a combined delivery. And a lot of times, we don't talk about it in this light, but we need to learn how to do it. When I read the Bible, the Bible's very clear on this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Notice what he puts together. Who forgiveth all thine what? iniquities who healeth all thy what diseases this is what God put in his word on purpose and paralleled them God literally says bless the Lord O my soul don't forget his benefits and then he says who forgives all iniquities and then it says who heals all thy diseases there's nothing too hard for God in fact I again the combined delivery when Jesus came to this earth Notice what he was willing to do. And I thought it was very interesting. On the cross of Calvary, there's a lot more that took place than many a times the story tells. When you look at what took place on the cross, the Bible spells it out very clearly. It says, who his own self bear our what? He bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes he were healed. Jesus never sinned. But he was willing to bear our sins on his body on the tree. Completely innocent, never sinned not once, but he was willing to make the transaction that you and I might be delivered. But it's not only our sins that he bore on the tree. The Bible says in Matthew 8, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Esaias the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities, and he bare our sicknesses. Jesus never sinned, but he bore our sins. Jesus was never sick, but he bore our sicknesses. He came for combined delivery. That's what we read yesterday in Messages, uh, Ministry to Healing, page 17. Remember? It says that he came as the unwearied servant of man. Remember that? 
and he wanted to meet the needs of humanities. Uh, he wanted to meet all of humanity's necessities. Then it said he came to remove three things. What, do, what were the three things, class, that he came to remove? That's three things. You told me one. Wretchedness was another. Sin was two. What was the other one? Disease. Very good. He came to remove disease, wretchedness, and sin. Now watch this. He came to remove. That's what I'm talking about. Combined delivery. He came to remove disease, wretchedness, and sin. And he came to remove that by giving what? What was the threefold remedy? Health, perfection of character, and peace. Very good. So he came to remove disease, wretchedness, and sin by giving the contrast health, peace, and perfection of character. This is what we are called to offer to humanity. Under the power of God's Holy Spirit, he calls us now to do the same. And so it is that God can keep us. And, you know, I started really studying the Bible and disease. It's, very, it's a very interesting study to do. There are some diseases that come. Most diseases come as a result of violation of law. Okay? Ministry Healing 127, diseases and effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. Now watch this. That's not hard to find because when you read Numbers chapter 12, you remember verses 5 to 11. Numbers 12 has three humans and one deity. The three humans, Aaron, Miriam, and Moses. One deity, God himself. Miriam and Aaron are dialoguing with each other, and they're like, yeah, you know, why should Moses have all this power and authority and lead like this? And on top of that, he married some Ethiopian woman. You know, they're going ahead and they're getting all negative about Moses. And when they're doing all of that and gossiping and everything else, God gets to a point where God says, all right, this has to stop. And then God comes in with that, that, that special disciplinary action. God says, Aaron, Miriam, normally, when I talk to a prophet, God says, normally when I talk to a prophet, I will speak to him in a vision or maybe even a dream. But God says, but it's not like that with Moses. God said, with Moses, he's so special to me that God says, with him, I speak to him mouth to mouth. Then God says, therefore, were you not afraid when you spoke against my servant Moses like this? I mean, that was like God unlatching his disciplinary belt. You understand? That, that was what he was doing. He was literally telling them, normally when I talk to a prophet, I do it like this. But Moses was so special to me that he says that I, I talked to him mouth to mouth. Therefore, weren't you afraid? And God disciplined them because after he said that, the Bible says the cloud moved back. And when that cloud moved back, Aaron's like, well, I guess I didn't get the discipline. He looks at Miriam. <gasps> Miriam is leprous. Miriam has leprosy, a real disease. Aaron goes before God and says, Lord, have mercy for us. Forgive us where we have talked foolishly. Forgive us for where we have sinned. Aaron understood my sister got sick because we sinned. Sin brings on disease. That's why when they came to the man who was born blind, they were like, 
Okay, master, whose sin was it? Was it his? Was it his parents? It was understood in the Jewish economy that if an individual has a sickness, it's because they sinned. Now, it is true. Sin, it is true. Sin is the cause of all diseases. But there's nothing in the Bible that says it's always your sin. Precious little child walking down the streets of India, minding her business and just wanting to perhaps go home. A man possessed by a demon sees that young lady and decides to assault her and rape her. In that wicked process, that young lady gets a disease. Was sin the reason she got her disease? Yes. Was it her sin that caused the disease? No. You get the difference. Sin is foundational to disease. That's why the world doesn't need more medical practitioners. The world needs more medical missionaries. Because I don't know the last time your medical practitioner asked you, how is your life in harmony with God's law? There's some sanitariums, they don't even ask that question. True story. Lady, 65 years old, has cancer. She ate well, very nutritious diet, exercise, drank water, got good sleep at night. She said, I keep all the laws of health. Why did I get sick? She's sitting down with a very wise medical missionary. That medical missionary understood, listen, the curse causeless shall not come, Proverbs 26, 2. Curse never comes without a cause. So if you got a disease, there was a cause. So you can tell me how obedient you were all you want. Somewhere along the lines, we need to find something out. True story, 65-year-old lady. It was in another country where I was talking about this. And she started to ask that. She was like, Lord, this person's doing all these, quote, unquote, laws of health. What's going on? So the Lord impressed her heart. Go through the Ten Commandments with her. So she started saying, okay, um, do you have another God in your life? And she began to explain what that means. The lady said, oh, no, 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 no. I worship the one and true God. Then she said, okay, uh, do you have idols in your life? Do you take the Lord's name in vain? Do you violate his Sabbath? And she started going down the list. Lady's like, nope, 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 nope. Medical missionary's like, Lord, this is getting hard because if she's truly honoring your whole law, then why is it that she's going through this? And then she got to commandment number seven. Does anybody know what commandment number seven is? Thou shalt not commit adultery. The woman was single, single 65-year-old woman. So she got to thou shalt not commit adultery, and she said she, she, she knew Psalms 119.96. Thy commandments are exceeding broad. So what she did was she put the magnifying glass on the law of God, and she said, did you know that adultery deals with all forms of sexual perversions? And therefore she began to talk about self abuse. As she began talking about self-abuse, the woman, 65 years old, started getting fidgety, you know, just uh, started getting uncomfortable in the conversation. She said, are you well? She says, did you just say that self-abuse is a violation of the seventh commandment? She said, yes. The woman said, I practice self-abuse six times per day. 65-year-old woman. She said, sister, I 
think I found out what has debilitated your body and has negatively impacted your mind that probably helped invite what you're ailing with right now. And she began to counsel her. If we would start being true medical missionaries and help people understand it's not always about your lack of water. It's not always about your lack of rest. Sometimes when you take the Ten Commandments and you magnify them, we will discover we have gods in our life. We have idols in our life. We are taking God's name in vain. You heard, uh, what was it, Brother McNulty? I think it was Brother McNulty where he said that in order for one to keep the Sabbath holy, one must himself be holy, Desire of Ages 283. I mean, you know, some of us, we, sometimes we think we're in right standing with God and we're not. And so it is that that woman, her eyes were open, just like many of us need our eyes open. My brothers and sisters, Jesus came to heal all that were sick. He came to remove disease, wretchedness, and sin by replacing it with health, peace, and perfection of character. But a lot of times, we are still not walking in harmony with God and his law, moral and physical. The Bible makes it very clear that physical laws can make a violation of physical law can make us sick. Proverbs 24 and verse 13, what does it say? Go there. Violation of physical law can make us sick. Question, if you saw me come in this room and I start preaching the word to you right now, and all of a sudden I stop preaching, you see me hold my stomach, and next thing you know, you just see me um, holding my head, and the next thing you know, I'm just like, Ugh, and I just vomit all over this floor. Chances are, you would say, Brother Lemon is sick. I agree. Vomiting is a clear evidence that there's a sickness present. There's something going on of which the body is trying to deal with it. Well, in Proverbs 24 and verse 13, what does the Bible say? My son, do what? Eat thou honey. Why? Because it is good and now the honeycomb is sweet to the taste. Now watch this. Is it all right to eat honey? Are any of you vegans? Very good. Vegans don't eat honey. That's right. But, but God says eat it because it's good. You get it? Honey is permissible by God to eat. Now watch this. Proverbs 25. Go one chapter over. Proverbs 25. What does it say in verse 16? Proverbs 25 and verse 16 says, Has thou found honey? What does he say? Eat so much as is what? Sufficient for thee, lest thou be filled with it and vomit. Do you see how God presents to us a very important principle? Even the things that he permits us to partake of that's good, he says we are only to take it in sufficient amounts, lest we indulge in too much of it and it makes us sick. That is violation of a physical law, overeating. Even that which is good. Do you see how simple that principle is? These things are in the Bible, my brothers and sisters. These things are in the Bible. I'm in the middle of writing a book right now called Giving the Glory Back to Who It Belongs to. And we're going to show all of these latest and greatest health principles, and they're going to see it right from the Bible. We're going to give the glory back to God. I'm thankful for Mr. Esselstein. I'm thankful for T. Colin Campbell. I'm thankful for Mr. McDougal and the rest of them. They're good people. They're doing the best they can. But I'm sorry. All they are doing is repeating what God has already said in the Bible. It's time God gets the credit back. My brothers and sisters, God wants us to understand. Violation of moral law, violation of physical law makes us sick. And God does not want us to be sick. 
He wants us to have health, peace, and perfection of character. Now, understanding this, notice, the creator of man has arranged the living machinery of our bodies. Every function is wonderfully and wisely made. And God pledged himself to keep this human machinery in healthful action. Please listen to the words. Sometimes we run way fast to, through the words. It says, God pledged himself. I mean, that, that means I got a partner in this. God has pledged himself, I'm going to do everything possible to keep you in a healthy condition. You understand that? He pledged himself. So it says, God pledged himself to keep this human machinery in healthful action if, and that is the key, if the human agent will obey his laws and cooperate with God. Now look at this. Every law governing the human machinery is to be considered just as truly what? Divine. Every law, every law governing the human machinery is to be considered just as truly divine in origin, in character, and in importance as the word of God. That is serious. God takes health a lot more seriously than we do. God takes health a lot more seriously than we do. Every careless, inattentive action, any abuse put upon the Lord's wonderful mechanism by disregarding his specified laws in the human habitation is a violation of God's law. It's sin. It's sin. It says, we may behold and admire the work of God in the natural world, but the human habitation is the most wonderful. Most wonderful thing to study is the human body. Most wonderful. It says, since the laws of nature are the laws of God, it is plainly our duty to give these laws, what kind of study? Careful study. We should study their requirements in regard to our own bodies and conform to them. Ignorance in these things is what? Sin. Ignorance in these things is sin. Councils to the churches, page 215, paragraph 5 and paragraph 6. My brothers and sisters, God hates murder even when we do it to ourselves. And some of us, we are killing ourselves while we tell everybody, thou shalt not kill. We get mad when a white man kills a black boy. We get mad when a black man kills a white boy. We get mad when everybody's killing everybody, but we don't get mad when we're killing ourselves. We need to get mad about that. We need to get to a place to realize that, Lord, forgive me for taking this. You see, I thought about it one day. How do you show somebody that the violation of physical law is a violation of moral law? Well, it's very simple. What's commandment number eight? I'm asking these questions on purpose. Come on, y'all. No, that's commandment number nine. Commandment number eight is thou shalt not steal. All right. Now, thou shalt not steal. Now, think about this. Thou shalt not steal. Taking that which belongs to another without their permission and using it as you please. Thou shalt not steal. One day, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And then he says these, in, these incredible words. And ye are not your own. Then he tells us why. He says, 
because you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So the Bible makes it clear, once we say, I'm a Christian, you have lost all rights to run your life. You've given up that right. Now God makes your plans. Now he makes your plans. And so it is that whenever we take this body that belongs to him and use it, in many cases, abuse it for our own pleasure without consulting the owner, that's called stealing. And so the violation of physical law is the violation of the moral law. Philippians 3, verses 18 and 19 tells us that we can make our bellies our God when God says, thou shalt have no other God before me. 1 Samuel 15, verse 23, the Bible says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Stubbornness. You ever been stubborn about something? God says, that's idolatry. That's idolatry. My brothers and sisters, it's very easy to see how violation of physical law can equate to violation of moral law. Thou shalt not kill, but then I want to go ahead and eat and drink and do all sorts of things that I know is slowly but surely debilitating and draining the vitality from my life. God says, that's a sin. And so the Lord says, I came to deliver you from that. I came to deliver you from disease, wretchedness, and sin. How? By giving you health, peace, and perfection of character. But he needs us to cooperate. That is a dividing line for righteousness by faith and every other doctrine and teaching you can possibly imagine that has any other benefit to humanity is one word, cooperation. Righteousness by faith does not work without cooperation. You understand that? So we can talk about it. That's all right. But it doesn't work without cooperation. Health, peace, and perfection of character does not come to any of us without cooperation. And so that becomes a very key point for you and I. And now, consider this. We must get this ourselves, and then, can you imagine? We have a prophetic work to do. You see, the relevance of the prophetic work when it comes to medical missionary work is huge. When you think about it, right? Revelation 13. Let's go to Revelation 13, and I want you to watch this with me. Revelation, oh my, I don't have my watch. Revelation 13, oh, I see the time, very good. Revelation 13, let's go ahead and let's take a look at it. In Revelation, the 13th chapter, watch the prophetic work. It's a very logical work. Revelation, we're going to what chapter? We're going to chapter 13. Now watch what the Bible says, right? In Revelation 13, verses 1 to 3, look at what the text says. The Bible says... And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head is the name of blasphemy. Verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him three things. What did he give him? Power. Power. What else? See, and great authority. Now, the first thing that the dragon gave the beast was power. 
You cannot have seat and great authority over the world until you first have been given power. All of this came from the dragon, which Revelation 12, verse 9, lets us know is the devil and Satan. So Satan empowered the beast's power that he might have power. And he exercised that power that he could have a seat and great authority throughout the world and tell the world what to do, when to do, and how to do. Then it says in verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And how much of the world? All the world did what? Wonder after the beast. Now, my brothers and sisters, that's how we started our meeting. I started opening, quoting from Revelation 13. Now, here's the key. All the people are going to wonder after the beast after his wound is healed. Okay? So, the question is, is the wound healed? Yes or no? Yes. How many say yes? How many say no? How many say I don't know? That's an honest answer. Now watch this. It's very simple. Watch my arm. I always do this analogy because it just gets the point across pretty clear. So here goes my arm, right? So watch my arm very carefully. So now I want you to watch my arm. See that? See that? See that? You know why I could do all of that? Because my arm is in a healthy state. So one day, click, I break my arm. My arm is now broken. Question, what is the clearest sign that my arm is healed? When I can do this again, right? Once I, once I can do that again, my arm's healed. The beast had power, seat, great authority. The beast had power to do whatever it wants, when it wants, how it wants. But the beast suffered a deadly wound, but the wound will be healed. And the way that we know the beast's wound is healed is when he can do what he did before. Doesn't that make sense? Let's look at what the beast was able to do when it was healthy. Go down to verse 7. Revelation 13, verse 7. In Revelation 13, verse 7, here's the image of a healthy beast. The Bible says in Revelation 13, verse 7, pay attention to the words. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. So watch this. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And what? power was given him over all what? Kindreds and tongues and question. If there is a kingdom, that's what a beast is, Daniel 7, 17, and verse 23 and 24. Beast represents kingdom. If a kingdom has power over all kindreds, tongues, and nations, what kind of power is that called? World power, but there's a very specific term for it. When you lead kindreds, tongues, and nations, it's called civil power. You have civil power, civil governing power. This is what the beast had when it was healthy over everyone. But then look at verse 8. In verse 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall do what else? Worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. When the beast can tell every kindred nation tongue to worship, who to worship, when to worship, how to worship, what kind of power is that? That is religious power, okay? Religious, civil dealing with government, civil dealing with state, religious dealing with church. My brothers and sisters, the feet of iron and clay, the last phase before the second coming of Jesus, Think about it. What were the legs made out of? Iron. What did iron represent? Rome. Did the feet have iron in it? Yes. The feet were mixed with what? 
Iron and clay. So the iron was a civil power in the leg. The iron is a civil power in the feet. But what prophetically does clay represent? I am the potter. God says to his people, you are the clay. What are God's people called? The church. My brothers and sisters, it's the union of church and state. It's the union of civil and religious power. That's the last thing we're going to see. And so it is that we know the beast's wound is going to be healed when we see church and state come back together again. This is why when we have a president that says, I want to amend the Johnson Amendment. This is why when we have those movements taking place, it's signs. God is letting us know that slowly but surely, yet definitely, the time is getting closer and closer that we're going to see a dissolving of constitutional rights and we're going to see a union, or shall I say, reunion of church and state. That's going to be a serious crisis. Because when the church and state come back together, you know what it forms? An image to the beast. And when you have image to the beast, it's easy to force mark of the beast. It's a prophetic work God wants us to do, knowing this. I wonder what it is. Go to verse 11 now. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, look at what the Bible says, Revelation 13, verse 11. Watch the text very carefully. In Revelation 13 now, look at it at verse 11. It says, And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, had two horns like a lamp, spake as a dragon. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him, causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Then it says, and he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, verse 17 together, and that no man might be able to do what? Buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. This is reality, right? Now, we know that things are taking place where there's a massive effort to bring a union between the powers that can influence the state. We are living in a time right now where we presently, presently, we have a president who very much wants to bring Christianity in a very large way back to America, uh, deeply influenced and counseled by evangelicals, etc. And uh, that's a very important thing as it relates to prophecy because we're told very clearly when the leading churches of the United States, I want you to pay attention to that. Watch the picture again. See, you, you notice there, there are lots of faces here. You got Judaism, Islam, Buddhism. You got a lot of different groups, okay? So this is a world movement. But at the same time, these things are happening right here in our own country, especially with a lot of evangelicals, okay? Lots of Christian folk. Now, understanding this, again, when the leading churches of the United States unite upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, shall do what? Influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions, then 
Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy and the inflictions of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. You see, it's through church and state, that's why somebody could be burnt at the stake in the dark ages for not following worship principles. The church couldn't kill you, but the state could. That's why they needed the union of church and state. You understand that? The church does not go around killing folks. They just simply tell the state to do it under their leadership. Basically, same thing. So the key is, is that this is what's coming. So because this is what's coming, what does God want us to do about it? Because when a time comes that you and I are going to be forced against our will to worship in certain ways and acknowledge things in certain ways, what was God's clear instruction to his people? The answer is right here. Notice. As religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who stand for freedom of conscience, is that what you stand for? Those who stand for freedom of conscience will be put in what kind of positions? Unfavorable positions. You know what one of those positions are? Won't be able to buy or sell. No, you know what that means? That means that you won't be able to use your medical coverage anymore. People don't think like that. This is a very real trial. So if right now I'm living off of Blue Cross Blue Shield, I'm living off of Aetna, I'm living off of Cigna, I'm living off of any of these things, a time will come in Earth's history that we will stand before the world and stand before God, and if we're faithful, a lot of our earthly supports, as Brother Fiedler, as Brother McNulty have been saying, those earthly supports are going to get what? Cut off. So God is telling us to do something about it. And it's so incredibly and lovingly practical. It says, as religious aggression subverts the liberties of our nation, those who stand for freedom of conscience will be put in unfavorable positions. Then it says, for their own sake, while they have opportunity, they should become, what's that next word? Intelligent, not aware. Intelligent in regard to four things. Disease, its causes, prevention and cure. That is instruction from the most holy place. Can you imagine that? God says, knowing that this time is coming, I want my people to become intelligent in regard to disease, its causes, prevention, and cure. And it's a shame I should have put the slides in. It was like the Lord was like, put it in, put it in. And I kept ignoring it. I should have did it. I, was, I would show you where our country is in the name of health care. If you see where our country is in the name of health care, my brothers and sisters, you would be so incredibly reluctant to trust your health to such a system. We are getting to a place where God wants to teach us how to take charge of our health. So notice, it says, there will be suffering ones, plenty of them, who will need help. Now look at the two places they're going to need help. Not only among those of our own faith, but largely of those who do not know the truth. Twofold field. Twofold field. We're going to have to help a lot of people in our own faith because the remnant have a hard time listening. So we're going to see that we're going to have to help a lot of our own people. But then an even larger field is we're going to have to work with those that know not the truth for this time. God says this is the work that I laid out for my people. So understanding this, Jesus, our excellent example, living out those laws of health, 
Now he says to you and I, I want you to live out those laws of health because the laws of health are not just good, they're sacred. God wants us to understand they're divine in origin, they're divine in character, they're divine in importance. God says we got to take it seriously. The same way that you would look at me with shock if I were to say, I haven't kept Sabbath for the past two months. You would say, oh, Brother Lemon, is everything okay? How can we help? Etc. But if somebody says, I haven't drunk the amount of water my body needs for the past week, we say, yeah, me too. <laughs> you get that difference? We don't look at the laws of health as divine in origin. We don't look at it as divine in character. We don't look at it as divine in importance to that of the word of God. We don't look at it like that. Guess what? You know what I need to keep the law of God, the Ten Commandments? You know what I need? I need grace. Is that right? Oh, I need grace. Grace is power. When you read Acts chapter 4, verses 30 to 33, grace is power. I need power. I need loving power from God that I can truly keep his Ten Commandments. Guess what you need? To keep the laws of health faithfully, you need grace. You need power. We easily violate the laws of health while we tell people it's a violation of the law of God. I told you the great mistake of the Pharisees, Desire of Ages 209, is that they thought that an intellectual assent to truth constituted righteousness. They said, we know that. And so that was enough for them. But God says, no, to him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you know you're supposed to exercise, you need to get out and exercise. You need to stop knowing it. You need to do it. And listen, taking a stroll on a property is not exercise. So I have to go to a lot of medical missionary institutes and explain to workers, strolling on the property is not limited to exercise. True exercise, your heart rate has to go up a bit. You need to work up a sweat. That's how a lot of things start happening. Bone marrow, it starts producing those new cells, et cetera. You got, but you got to move with a little bit more aggression. And so we have to understand, at least get a brisk walk in. And this is not a brisk walk. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I was reading the Bible the other day. And, you know, we're just having casual conversation as we're walking. That's not exercise. Exercise, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to get it in. Get it in. Get it in. Get it in. Brisk walking, literally. Get your hands up. Move. Move. And people, people are interested. They think, oh, this is, this is weak. Da, da, da. Let me tell you, do that for 30 minutes to an hour straight. 30 minutes to an hour straight. Do brisk walking where you move in your arms and your body and everything like that. You will see. It's not as easy as some of us think. The Bible says, you who say thou shalt not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? You who say thou shalt not steal, dost thou steal? God is saying, why are we telling people about drinking water, getting proper rest and open air and sunshine? Some of us don't even get outside. Some of us are not taking deep aspirations when we get outside. It's almost like we want to move in the country but not get the benefits of the country. <laughs> Have we forgotten why he told us about country living? We're still in buildings all the time and all this other stuff. God says, get outside. Let the sun beam on you. Breathe into pure, fresh, open air. So God is very serious about this. The laws that govern our being 
are truly as divine in origin, character, and importance as the word of God. Can you, that's a strong statement. But guess what? It's also a true statement. And so God wants us to understand that there's a tremendous work for us to do. So what is it that we need to understand? You remember what the Bible says in Psalms 139. Turn there. In Psalms 139, what, what is it that we need to understand to effectively do this work with power? Because remember, Jesus spoke with power because he lived this message. You will have more power when you live your message. You're going to have it. God doesn't want to just give it to us. He's desperate to give it to us. He wants to give you the power, but he will not endorse and strengthen indolence. He can't do that. So sometimes he allows the saints. I don't know if you're paying attention over these past few years. It seems like a lot of God's health reformers are dropping dead. I'm serious. And I, I believe with all my heart God is making a statement. Because more and still more, when I talk with some of these families and stuff, not in a form of gossiping, because some of these people who have died thus far are older than me. So when I go to the, the wives sometimes of these people, I mean, these, these are people that we really respect, that were doing good, godly work. But then next thing you know, strokes, heart attacks, cancer, and, and, and all sorts of debilitating diseases, and then they die. And it's kind of like, and I thank God for the testimony of the wives. A lot of those wives have said it. They said, my husband was a hard worker, but he would not get proper rest. He would not keep his body hydrated. He would not such and such and such. As a younger generation gospel worker, I need to pay attention to that. You understand that? I praise the Lord for those testimonies because it's helping me to understand because you, you don't understand. And, and any gospel worker in the room, you know what I'm talking about. You have no idea how easy it is to not get the water, rest, exercise, or whatever in and say, well, I'm doing the Lord's work. Any gospel worker knows what I'm talking about. It is very easy sometimes to make an excuse for not faithfully adhering to God's laws of health because I was busy trying to help save souls. And therefore, a lot of us health reformers were going to bed late night after night after night after night, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And God is saying, because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily. It says, therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are fully set to continue in their evil ways. Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 11. We have to understand that God is merciful to us. He knows we're cheating. He knows that we are preaching a message we're not living, and he is trying to help us see that's why you don't have power. God says you will have more power when you live like my son. But we got to take this thing far more seriously. The laws of health are sacred. And so it is. What do we need to understand? Psalms 139. What does it say in Psalms 139? In Psalms, the 139th division right there in verse 14. Psalms 139 and verse 14. Are we there? Yeah. Amen. The Bible says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. It was in the Jewish economy, the Jewish way of living, that all of the youth, studied the body. It wasn't limited for doctors and nurses and medical practitioners. It was a part of true education. Every child 
who knows the true and living God was supposed to be educated in understanding their physical frame. That's why David could intelligently say that. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. We read earlier, the most wonderful of all the creations is the body. My brothers and sisters, we are told very clearly in inspiration, it says a knowledge of physiology and hygiene should be the basis. What's another word for basis? Foundation. Very good. A knowledge of physiology and hygiene should be the foundation of how much? All educational effort. Education, page 195. All educational effort. We are supposed to understand our bodies because then you can know better how to take care of it. We have all sorts of wonderful systems in our bodies. There are books that can help teach us this. One of these I saw inside of the store. If you don't have it, you might want to add that to your library. It says right here by Dr. Kellogg, first book in physiology and hygiene. That book makes understanding your body so simple. I am serious. I watched my wife teach this to our children when we would do uh, homeschool and we do physiology. It's a very comprehensible book. And you're learning about digestion and where it begins in the mouth and how it goes down and you're naming all the different body parts. It's fantastic. Then on top of that, you got this book right here, Understanding the Body Organs and the Eight Laws of Health by Celeste Lee. Excellent book. They make it so clear, so plain, so practical. Your children can understand their frame. In fact, that's what we're told. In Child Guidance, page 103, paragraph 2 and 3, from the first dawn of reason. Think about that. From the first dawn of reason, the human mind should become intelligent in regard to the physical structure. Here, Jehovah has given a specimen of himself, for man was made in the image of God. The first study of the young should be to know themselves and how to keep their bodies in health. You see that? Our young people should know these things. They should be able to understand all those systems right there. They should be able to say the immune system the digestive system, the cardiovascular, the integumentary, the respiratory, the endocrine, the reproductive, the excretory, the musculoskeletal system. They can understand that. It just means that maybe we're going to have to cut the TV off. It just means that maybe we're going to have to get any type of even good, innocent video game out of the way. Oh, by the way, when I say TV, I'm talking about even present truth TV. I would imagine in this crowd here, you know, we're probably not going to have a lot of people watching Desperate Housewives, even though there might be a few of us. But a lot of us might have DVD after DVD of even good programming. Even too much good programming can still make your mind dull. Your brains were made to imagine and to think and to reason. And the problem with television is that when you're watching a program, it's imagining, thinking, and reasoning for you. So that's why you just sit there and just look at it as it switches from one scene to another to another. Your brain's not working as much. I'm not here to say get rid of all of it, but what I'm saying is, is we might want to minimize it. We need to teach our children to love books, to teach them to love reading. And I'm not talking about reading from an electronic. I'm talking about a book. Get them to love books. And God wants us to understand, this is what we're supposed to be understanding, our bodies, our frame. Now, when we understand our body and our frame, we can better appreciate this right here. Councils on Health 323. There are many ways of practicing the healing art, but there is only how many ways? One way that heaven approves. 
It says God's remedies are the simple agencies of nature that will not tax or debilitate the system through their powerful properties. This is speaking in the context of the laws of health. Those blessed laws of health. How many of you know about the eight laws of health? You know about it? I imagine you know about it. Now, I got a question for you. How many of you would like $1,000 right now? Okay, maybe not enough. How many of you would like uh, $5,000? Maybe let me raise the number. Okay, how many of you like 50,000? You want 50,000? That's good? All right. Brother Calvin Thrash will write the check. <laughs> My brother Calvin will write the check if you can prove from the Bible or the spirit of prophecy that we have eight laws of health. Don't worry, Calvin, your money's safe. Where in the Bible, where in the spirit of prophecy can you prove that there's only eight laws of health? Genesis 1 and 2 shows some principles. It doesn't show all. I agree. It, it shows a lot, but it doesn't show all. It doesn't show all. It, or in other words, it, it shows more than eight. Let, how, let me say that. It shows more than eight. You can show eight, but what if there's more? In other words, I am here to inform you of this. And there's a reason I'm doing this. Eight laws of health is not existent in neither the Bible or the spirit of prophecy. The eight laws of health is an accommodation to an acronym. Allow me to repeat that. The eight laws of health is an accommodation to an acronym. We have an acronym called New Start. Nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air, rest, trust in God. It's an acronym. We have God's plan. Godly trust, open air, daily exercise, proper rest, lots of water, always temperate, and nutrition. These acronyms are fine. They serve their purpose. But the truth of the matter is, there's more than eight. And we need to be okay with that. We need to be okay with that. You know, don't, don't ever fight for something that's not in inspiration. You understand that? If any of you ever heard me uh, preach or teach about, uh, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, you never see me use the term Trinity to defend it because it's not in the Bible, it's not in the spirit of prophecy. I'm not going to waste my time fighting for something that I can't back it up with inspiration. So what's in the Bible? Godhead. So I will let people know I believe in the Godhead. I believe in the three individual co-eternal persons of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit revealed as the Godhead. I think a wise move is maybe in next general conference and session, maybe we get rid of the name Trinity and replace it with Godhead. Amen. We'll be at least halfway through the battle. In other words, don't ever fight for a term that is not founded in the Bible or the Spirit of Prophecy. Why would you even fight for something like that? You have nothing to fight with. It's the same principle. I don't have anything that talks about eight laws of health. Okay, you saw that quote we just did where it said there's only one way that heaven approves? Can I, can, I show you, can I spell out to you what the one way is? It was from Councils on Health 323, right? Okay, look at Councils on Health 323. Paragraph two. See, it was paragraph one that I read. Here goes paragraph two. Notice what's highlighted and count with me. Pure air. Water. 
Cleanliness. Three. Proper diet. Purity of life. Firm trust in God are remedies for the want of which thousands are dying. Yet these remedies are going out of date because their skillful use requires work that the people do not appreciate. Fresh air. No, you're not good students. It is not highlighted. Fresh air and pure air are the same. Got that? Okay, listen up again. Be good students. All right. Fresh air, no. What number did we end at? Six, very good. Exercise. Pure water. Very good, water's already right here. Clean, sweet premises. Eight, watch this. Cleanliness deals with your person. Clean, sweet premises deals with your property. Is that different? Yes, it is. Your house is not you, and you are not your house. You understand that? Cleanliness deals with body. Clean, sweet premises deals with property. You get that? Very good. Now watch. That's how many? That's eight. Now watch this. Are within the reach of all with but little expense, but drugs are expensive both in the outlay of means and the effect produced upon the system. Now I'm a big time contextual reader. I do my best. I don't, I don't always succeed, but I do my best. Now I want you to watch this. We just counted how many? Eight. Now watch this. Ministry of Healing 127. Now, watch this. Pure air, already there. Sunlight, nine. Sunlight wasn't even mentioned in this. Isn't that something? Now watch this, that's nine. Abstemiousness, that's 10. Abstemiousness was not mentioned here. Abstemiousness is a big word for temperance. Now watch this, rest, 11, 11. Now watch these words carefully, because I, you know, I, I'm a, I try, you know, again, I'm trying to be a thinking man. So look, rest, exercise, proper diet, the use of water, trust in divine power. All that was mentioned here. Okay? So we're at what number? 11. Now here's what it says next. It says, these are the... So my mind pauses, and I said, wait a minute. Why is it that she says remedies here, true remedies there? It's kind of like when Paul in Ephesians 4 and verse 24 talks about true holiness. I'm like, what's the difference between holiness and true holiness? So context. In Ministry Healing 127, anybody who knows Ministry Healing 127 knows that this passage, this, this paragraph here, came shortly after it just finished talking about the use of drugs and how often drugs are presented as a remedy but then those drugs end up doing more damage at a later time. So when she says true remedies, she's saying that to contrast what? The false remedies through the drug medication that is often advocated. You understand that? That's why she said true remedies. Make sense? Okay, but they're both remedies. So it's talking about the same thing. And how much are we up to? 11. So it says, these are the true remedies. Every person should have a knowledge of nature's remedial agencies and how to apply them. It is essential both to understand the principles involved in the treatment of the sick and to have a practical training that will enable one to rightly use this knowledge. So that is how much? 11. Now watch this. Knowledge must be gained in regard on how to? And? And? So as to preserve what? 
health. Sickness is the result of violating nature's law. Our first duty, one which we owe to God, to ourselves, and to our fellow men, is to obey the laws of God. These include the laws of health. So what is added in this quote that we have not calculated yet that is contributed to the laws of health? Dress. Dress. 12. Christian temperance Bible hygiene. Page 12, paragraph 3. My family is very simple. If you only think eight, you might neglect the other ones. I have a whole study. We did a three-hour dress reform class. We have a whole study just on the subject of dress reform. And what's interesting is you'd be amazed at how the way we dress can truly impact our health, either for good or for bad when it comes to perfect circulation. And so these are things we have to broaden our minds. Again, if you want to say eight laws of health because you're just a good old traditionalist, that's fine. No sin in saying eight laws of health. But my concern is when we limit to eight laws of health and then we neglect other things. Do you know how many people we do consultations with or they come to a sanitarium or something like that and we don't talk anything about their premises? And so sometimes they, their homes are dirty and filthy and surrounded by dirt and filth. And a lot of times it's not clean and it's putting pollution in the air. So when we say go outside and take some deep breaths, they're going outside and they're breathing in their nasty compost. Or they're breathing in decaying matter that's on the ground. You understand that? That's real. Or we say cleanliness. My brothers and sisters, do you know how many of us will go through a whole day and sweat, sweat, sweat? Then we'll go into an AC environment and we will cool off. And then we'll go back outside and sweat, sweat, sweat again. Now, let's use some education with that. Uh, you know, our skin is porous. When you go outside and you get hot, pores do what? Open. That sweat comes out. But when you get cold or cool, what do the pores do? Close. So we got waste matter that's sitting on top of our skin. Then when we go back outside, and we begin to sweat again, and we're outside for periods of hours, then what's going to happen? Pores are going to open. And then it can reabsorb some of that filth that was there. Now, I would love to say this is my genius, but it's not. I can show you the quotations. This is exactly what Sister White was talking about. That's why she would talk about people bathing frequently. You understand that? Because a lot of times we did. I, uh, I don't want to get too specific. The, the point is, no need to get too specific. The point is, there's higher levels of attention that we would do well to give to some of these forgotten laws of health. We need to give a higher attention to dress. We need to give a higher attention to purity of life. We need to give a higher attention to cleanliness of person and cleanliness of property. That's why I can talk to somebody who comes from different parts of the Caribbean, and if they are quote unquote Rastafarians, that's when I can say, God does not want you to have your hair matted where it begins to collect all that filth into your hair. Because what's in the hair goes to the top of your scalp where it is porous and the poisons in your hair, the filth in your hair will get through the pores in your scalp and get into your bloodstream and can cause disease. That's a lot easier than saying the Bible says no locks, so you know, whatever, and getting into all these. You can use principles of health and help our brothers and sisters in the Caribbean understand they need to make a change. My, my point is very simple, family. We need to study out God's laws of health a little bit deeper. We need to pay a little bit more attention. God wants us to understand 
that there are weightier matters of the law that we need to look at. In the same way that we can look at the Ten Commandments and we can find weighty principles there, we can look at the laws of health and find weighty principles there. And a key example is this as we close. What is a weightier law, especially in the laws of health? All important, all important, all important. But some of them have a level of weight to it that can be foundational to why other ones are so challenged. And you know what one of them is that I believe with all of my heart? Self-control. If I say to you, do you know that you should have daily devotion every day? We're going to say yes. And then I'll ask, do you do that? Many of us will say, no, not every day. Or if I say, do you pray evening, morning, and at noon, like the Bible teaches? Many of us will say, I know to do that, but I don't do that. I ask why. You know what our answer is? Intemperance. I don't have control over my schedule. My schedule controls me. If I say, do you know you're supposed to go outside and get open air every day and do deep aspirations that help purify your blood, which promotes health in your body? Do you get outside and do that? I know I'm supposed to do it, but I don't do it. Why don't you do it? Intemperance. Do you know you're supposed to exercise daily? Yes, I do. Do you do it? No. Why? Intemperance. Do you know you're supposed to get proper rest, go to bed at certain times, keep the atmosphere a certain way so your body can get the restoration that it needs? Yes, I know that. Do you do it? No, I don't. Why? Intemperance. Do you drink all the water your body needs on a daily basis? No. Intemperance. Are you temperate? No, because of intemperance. <laughs> Do you eat the things that you're supposed to eat all the time on a regular basis to make sure that your body gets the amount of nutrition that it needs? Or do you have that type of language or verbiage that says, well, you know, just today? Yes, I do that. Why? Intemperance. I believe with all of my heart. Temperance is a weighty law for God's people. We are very intemperate people, and we're told... An intemperate man cannot be a patient man, which means an intemperate man cannot be a patient saint that keeps the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so we need to start studying. How can I get more temperance? And the Bible doesn't leave us aloof to this. Our last text, Galatians 5. Galatians, the fifth chapter, the Bible helps us with these things. You see, I think of my, when I used to be Pentecostal, you go into Galatians 5. When I used to be Pentecostal, we used to say things like, I am saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, and fire baptized. And yeah, and then we get that amen out there. And, and you know, we used to say that. Saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, fire baptized. And you know, sounds cute, sounds great, but I learned something. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, then this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and what's the last one? Temperance. Against such there is no law. My brothers and sisters, there is no way in the world you're going to tell me you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you got a short temper. There's no way you're going to tell me you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you can't control what you put in your mouth. There's no way that we can say we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we cannot do what God has told us to do. Temperance enables us to say yes to that which is right and no to that which is wrong every time. 
That's Holy Ghost power. Holy Ghost power is not what kind of strange languages you can speak that neither heaven nor hell understand. That is not being filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible does not teach that. Temperance means that in your life, you have control over your spiritual life, your financial life, your family life, your mental cultivation, your work life, your social life, and your physical development. The Bible says if any man strives for the mastery, he must be temperate in all things. Show me a man. Show me a woman that knows how to properly manage their spiritual development. They manage perfectly their finances. They know how to be a family man or a family woman. They develop mental cultivation on a regular basis. They are temperate in their work. They know when to start and they know when to stop. They are social people. They cultivate social interaction. And they do not neglect their physical being. Show me somebody that lives like that, I will show you a man or a woman who is filled with the Holy Ghost. You understand that? Because that's what God wanted. That's what God always wanted. My brothers and sisters, laws of health are as truly divine as the word of God. It comes from the word. And we have gotten comfortable. And it's time that God disrupts our comfort. He's trying to save us, and more importantly, he's trying to fit us that we might be counted amongst the team that will give the loud cry to third angel's message for a world and a church that is dying in sin. We must cooperate with our master. And my hope and my prayer is that the presence of God's spirit will so deeply rest, rule, and abide in your heart and in mine that that excellent example of our pattern man, Jesus, will be lived out within us. And guess what? When the devil whispers in your ear, you can't do it. When the devil whispers in your ear, impossible. Do like Jesus, give him back the word. And the word I want you to give him is Luke 18, 27. And you let him know that which is impossible with man is possible with God. I thank God for the victory that we obtain through our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us would like to become truly temperate saints that by God's grace we can be counted amongst the patient saints? Amen. Let's go to our knees and seal it with a word of prayer. Father, you are wonderful. You are so wonderful. You have things in store for your people. that our minds could not possibly imagine. If only we would cooperate with you. Truly, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. We have taken our eyes off of the bigger picture. We have become satisfied with crumbs when you want to pour out the whole bread from heaven. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, take us higher. Help us to go higher and higher upon Jacob's ladder. And I pray, O oh God, that the excellent example of Jesus might be lived out within each and every one of us. And may you receive all the praise and the credit for what you have accomplished. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.